Yeshua as their Savior yet. And it's a ministry that's been in, in existence for 125 years. And it's a really cool ministry. And they travel around to Christian churches and um, give uh, Bible studies uh, and connect um, Jewish culture, Jewish traditions to God's Word and bring Jesus alive from the Old Testament. And um, on April 7th, we're going to be having uh, one of their missionaries back here. And he's going to be doing a, it's called God's Appointed Times. And he's going to be doing a a Bible study for us on Sunday morning, both services, on the seven feasts that God laid out, the annual feast that the children of Israel to observe. And you'll be able to see how Christ is, even from way back in the beginning, that the Messiah was in all of these things and pointed forward to, to the coming of the Savior Jesus, who we worship and love. So you can mark your calendar for that. Uh, we, want, we wanted to do that in con- co- coinciding with that, that first two-service morning. Um, uh, and try to get other people in the community who might be interested in hearing a special message come too. So mark that on your calendar. I have more information on that soon. Uh, since um, we're going to be going to two services, we thought that it would be a good idea to do one, not last, but uh, uh, our, our last opportunity to do like a congregational uh, potluck before we went to two services, and it would be a lot easier when we just have one service right now. But March 31st, as you guys know, the church will provide the main dish. Please bring a side dish or a dessert to share. There's a sign-up sheet. If, if you don't sign up, you can still come. But if you sign up, it helps us figure out how much meat to buy um, for, for everybody. And so um, that'll be right after church on Sunday, March 31st. So plan on having lunch here with us and visiting and fellowshipping and getting to maybe know somebody new. Um, and then, of course, all you U-turn guys, free food, right? You guys can stay too. Amen. Um, women's Craft is coming up. We've been mentioning that. There's a sign-up sheet for that. Also, I'm pretty excited about this next announcement. We've done this once before. There's a marriage conference called The Art of Marriage. It's a one-day conference we're going to be doing here. My wife, Autumn, and I are going to be leading that and teaching that. It's a video series. Um, it's a one-day. It's usually like a Friday evening and then an all-day Saturday thing. But um, we have a ministry to the fire department here in town. And um, we have uh, 32 firefighters and their wives total who are signed up for that event. And so we're going to do it on two different Saturdays to work with the shift work that they have there so they can come to that. So it's going to be, um, I think it's the Saturday, the 6th, and then April 6th, and then April 20th. There's a sign-up sheet that has more of the information and a flyer at the informational counter. But we're opening up to the whole church, and we've combined it to one day, one Saturday. There's child care provided. There's a lunch and, and bre- a lunch and dinner provided. And um, it, for a couple, it's $50, and that includes your workbooks, um, the, the time here, all the snacks, the food, the, the child care, everything. You can't, you can't beat it. It's a wonderful, wonderful marriage video series. It's, it's, someone asked me, is it like from the 80s, Brandon? Or is it, is it up to date? Yeah, it's, it's up to date. It's good, good quality material as well as it's interesting, it's engaging, it's applicable. And it's not for people who just have problems in their marriage. You know what? Um, it's, it's really clear that marriage, um, you should continue to work on your marriage every day. Right, ladies? Your husbands should, yeah, yes. And, and this is an opportunity to continue to work on your marriage. It's an opportunity to continue to refocus on doing marriage God's way. And so it's a strengthening as well as a repairing and fixing. And so even if your marriage is great, it, can, it, needs, it should be better. And that's, God wants it to be better. So please sign up for that. And um, uh, there's uh, 
You'll love it. Uh, and that's it for his announcements for this morning. Um, uh, we'll go on into Luke chapter 8, and as we begin to uh, prepare for this morning, I want to pray for um, our brothers and sisters at Grandview Christian Church. And the pastor there is Pastor Todd, and Pastor Shane is the youth pastor there, and his wife leads worship. And Shane um, helps out with the youth ministry at the bridge, so he's, he, and um, uh, Winter National, we partner all together. And so they're, they're truly our brothers and sisters over there at Grandview Christian Church. And so um, I want to pray for them this morning as we just keep the other churches and, and our other uh, Christian family members uh, across Kenya City and Fremont County in prayer. So um, as we pray, um, let's consider them as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time of worship that we've already had. Lord, thank you for the remembrance that um, when we set our heart um, on the things that your heart is on and your things that your heart is for, Lord, that things line up in our lives. Lord, I'm so grateful that really Christianity is not a self-improvement course. It's not about us making ourselves better. It's how about us knowing you more and um, submitting ourselves, surrendering ourselves to you more. And when we do that, God, you change us. You pour good things into our lives. Things, like we said, are greater and exceedingly more awesome than we could ever hope for or imagine. I pray you would do that again this morning, Lord, as we study your word, that we had faith and that we would have humility and receive what you have for us. And Lord, we pray the same for our brothers and sisters at Grandview um, uh, Christian Church and for Pastor Todd, who's given the message. to pray, God, that he would teach your word, that he would be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that the truth would be brought forth and would penetrate into the hearts and minds of our brothers and sisters there. We pray you'd strengthen that fellowship, Lord. Pray that people would come to know you more this morning there. Pray for Pastor Shane and his wife also and the rest of the leadership there. We give you thanks for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, Jesus loves you guys. The Bible tells you so. And God is always doing good for you. And um, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Apostle Paul writes, and, and, and he personalizes this, but this truth is universal to all of us who have given our lives to Christ. He says, he says I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, and here it is, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? All right, let's read. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass afterward that he, Jesus, went through every city and village preaching and bringing, I should underline this, this passage, this last part of the scripture, and it says, And bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And when twelve were with him, and the twelve were with him, and, and certain women who had been healed of evil, of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdala, uh, out of whom um, comes, had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. And of course, we read awesomely about last week about the woman who fell at Jesus' feet and anointed his feet with oil and, and cleaned him with tears. And, and she's one of these women who believed to have been following Jesus and providing for him during this time. So in verse 4, we go on and it says, And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. And, and just really quick, a, a parable is an earthly example to reveal a spiritual truth. That's, that's the most simplest way of explaining what a parable is. 
And Jesus is going to give us some insight into why he's, he's doing that at this time of his ministry. And, um, but if you just keep that in mind, it's, a, it's an earthly example to reveal spiritual truth, things about God and his kingdom. And so Jesus is speaking by a parable here, and he goes on in verse 5, and he says, A sower went out to sow his seeds. In other words, a farmer, someone who's planting the fields. And um, today we have equipment to do that. Scott's got some, does some gardening and, and, and some farming. He has some pretty cool equipment for that. But back then it was like reaching into a bag and pulling out the seed and throwing it out and casting it upon the ground. And so you get the imagery there that, that Jesus was describing to um, these, these, these people into this agrarian culture. Um, today we have tractors that do that. And as long as you keep in a straight line, you do good. And as long as you... Uh, Remember to keep your seed hoppers full. You do good. And this is way off track, but there was a time in my life when I got sent to live with my aunt and uncle in, in Idaho, and they have a farm there. And uh, I planted once five acres with no seed. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't. My uncle showed me how to drive the tractor and told me what to do and to keep straight lines, but he never told me I had to refill the hopper. <laughs> so got to do it again. Anyway, things, strange things pop into my mind up here. So Jesus says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Verse 6, Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it out. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop. A hundredfold. And when he had said these things, this is really important here. It says he cried out. And you almost see with this scripture here, this, this notation that there's this intensity that Jesus is now bringing to this parable. And he says, you can see Jesus teaching and the people are gathered around and he says to him, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then, verse 9, his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? And I pray that this would be us in our relationship with God, is that we, when we don't understand that, we would come to him and we would be like the disciples and seek, that we'd be seekers, that we would be those who want to hear. And he said to them in verse 10, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Man, I'd be super excited if Jesus was saying that to me. But to the rest, it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, verse 11, the parable is this, so Jesus is going to explain it to us, and he says, the seed is the word of God, and those by the wayside, in other words, the seed by the wayside, uh, or, or the ground by the wayside, are the ones who's, who, who hear, but then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe it and be saved. But the, one, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation will fall away. Now, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, 
having heard the word with a noble and, and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And so let's stop there for this morning. I think that's all the further we get. And um, Lord, I ask that this word that we read, your word, that it would go forth into our hearts as you've intended it to this morning and have bring forth the fruit that you desire for it to bring, God. We all have ears in this room. But Lord, we want to have a mind and a heart that's willing to hear. Help us to understand, Lord. And, and, and when we don't, we cry out to you, Lord, to teach us and teach us by your spirit again this morning. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you guys know, one of the, the benefits of teaching verse by verse is that we keep context. And, and for me, contextual integrity is everything when it comes to the teaching of God's Word. Um, so often teachers, I've, 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 been, I've heard people teach, and I, I know other people who have taught passages of Scripture and taught from verses and taken it out of context and have made it say something that God never intended it to say. And that's one aspect of, of contextual of teaching with context is, is we, we, we keep things um, in the way that God has brought them forth in the way that he intends them to come. But the, but the other thing about it is, is when we teach contextually, when we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, I think our understanding is, is opened up. There's an enlightenment that comes that we may not get if we just jump from place to place to place. And I think that's true also in regards to what we're reading here in this parable. And, 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 and in light of that, I want to say I think it's very easy to quickly move past these first three verses that we read here of this chapter. They seem to be somewhat um, a weather report-ish, if you mean. It's the news. And by the way, Jesus went here, and this is what he did. And, and Luke's given us that, and, and Luke's told us that as he says he's given us an orderly account of the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said. But there's some significance to what we're going to read within these first three verses. And so it's important not to skip over them and, and, and not to move past the three verses of this chapter and, 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 and like I would like to do and just jump right into the awesome parables of Jesus that he records for us in this chapter because there's others in addition to the one that we just read. But yet if we were to do so, if we were to overlook these three verses, I think, and, and skip the contextual um, order of things here, we were overlooked the fact that Luke is contextually setting the stage for the things that Jesus said uh, Jesus did and the things that Jesus said that are recorded in this chapter. He's setting the stage. He's, he's giving us some insight into what we're going to read about. And in doing so, Luke is telling us that after Jesus left the home of Simon, that's what we read at the end of chapter 7, Simon the Pharisee, where the quote-unquote known sinner woman had cleansed Jesus' feet, he's telling us that Jesus then continued to travel. If you remember, he'd gone back to Capernaum. From there, he went to the city of Nine. That's where he um, uh, got to uh, heal some people and have some, uh, an encounter with uh, the widow woman and raising her son back to life. And he, 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 he honored John, and he spoke again, condemning the Pharisees for what, what they were doing. Um, and, and it appears this is where he had this meal with Simon the Pharisee. But from that place... He, he went to um, other cities, it says, right, and other villages. And this would be in, in the, in the sea, around the Sea of Galilee. This is where Christ is still at. A, a good portion of Jesus' ministry 
took place there. However, the important thing to notice is that Jesus, if you look at verse 1, what it tells us is it's not just so much where he went, it's what he did. And he went preaching, it says, and proclaiming in these cities and villages, quote-unquote, glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And, and this phrase is, is a reference to what we might refer to as the good news, right? Glad tidings of the kingdom of God. It's, it's a reference to the good news message which tells us about the coming of God's kingdom. And more importantly, the message of God's salvation, which is, is this. The message is, is, is it's the forgiveness of our sins by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ, who is the only begotten Son of God, who is our Redeemer, the one that purchased us, paid the debt that we owed by his own life on the cross. And this specific reference to the message of glad, or we might say good tidings, is found all throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. For example, I want to read a couple of passages in Isaiah chapter 52, the, it, it, verses 7 through 10. It, it's, it's a prophetic passage of Scripture, and prophetically speaking, it, it says this. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Now, we know that, that that's a universal truth. When someone brings you good news, that's better than someone bringing you bad news, Right? And it's a beautiful thing, but this is prophetically speaking in regards to the Messiah, the Christ who would come. And, and it goes on, and we know that. It says, it says again, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Here it is. Who brings glad tidings of good things. Who proclaims salvation. Who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, and he has redeemed Jerusalem, and the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nation. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God." And the prophet Isaiah was given this prophecy, and it points forward to this time, to the Messiah who was going forward into the cities and villages everywhere, preaching the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, a joyous message, a redemption message. Furthermore, this good news message of God's salvation was the same message of glad tidings that had been spoken at the beginning of this story, if you will, of the Messiah and his birth and his coming. And, and if you remember, that was first spoken in the New Testament to a man by the name of Zacharias, a priest. And, and we read about him in the beginning of this, of this gospel account in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, verses, verse 1, chapter 1, verses 13 through 19. And in that account is, is, is when the angel appeared to him when he was in the, tab, the temple doing his duty there, that his wife, he said, his wife would conceive and, and, and um, give birth to a son, and this son would be called John, and John would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And then this message of glad tidings was again spoken to the shepherds in the field, remember, on the night of Jesus' birth, also by an angel to them. Same angel in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, which says this. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, here it is, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good news, he says. I got, don't be afraid, it's not a bad message. It's a good message. I got good news for you. He said, great, good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And here it is, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is what Jesus was doing. He was fulfilling this ministry. He was fulfilling these prophecies. And this message of glad tidings is important for us as Luke sets the stage because it identifies some important things. Because this good news message that Jesus went preaching throughout every city in the village is what is being referred to specifically by Jesus in the parables. And it's being referred to whenever in the parables, whenever there is a mention to the word of God. Jesus is going forth. He's preaching this good news message. He's bringing forth the prophetic word of God as it's being lived out in his life and pointing people forward to the work that he would do on the cross and telling them about God's salvation and forgiveness by God's grace through faith. And as he was calling people to come and follow him, and, 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 and now Jesus is going to bring forth spiritual truth, a, 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 a truth about the kingdom of God in relationship to people hearing and receiving God's word, the very word that he's been preaching, the very message of salvation that he had been going through the villages and cities telling people about. And in the first 21 verses, we didn't get to the others yet, maybe we will, we'll at least get to verse 15, but in the first 21 verses, what we're going to see is, is that there's three specific lessons, okay? Three specific lessons or instructions given to us in light of the word of God, in light of the good news message, the glad tidings that God bring forth through his son, and in light of, the, in light of this good news message. So for those of you who are taking notes from this morning, these lessons, I want to summarize them for you. They can be summarized by three statements. Okay, the first is hear and receive the word. The second is hear and share the word. And the third is hear and obey the word. Hear and receive the word, hear and share the word, and hear and obey the word. Now, as we go on through these parables, I want to point out that the word hear is used nine different times, not just in the first 15 verses, but through the first 21 verses total. That word here is used nine different times, and the Greek equivalent or the word that is translated from is the Greek word ak uo, and it's, it means to consider, listen, it means to consider what is or has been said in order to learn, to listen with spiritual understanding and receptiveness in order to comprehend and understand. And, and the same Greek word, akouo, is used in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul writes to us this familiar passage of Scripture, and he says, so, faith comes, so then faith comes by hearing, akouo, and hearing by the word of God. It's, it's not, um, um, it's, it's active. Uh, and, and with this in mind, we see that Jesus is calling us He's calling them at this time who was listening to the parable, his disciples and the crowds of people, and he's also calling us this morning to give attention, to give our attention to and to consider what he has said in an intimate way, in a personal way, as if God was sitting here with you this morning, he is, and speaking to you something personal in your own life, giving ear. Lord, what do you have for me? I have an ear. I want to hear. I want to understand. 
So to give attention and to consider what he has said, and in doing so, you know what? This will help us to better understand these three overall lessons that Jesus is teaching us. What lessons? How to hear and receive the word, how to hear and share the word, and then ultimately how to hear and obey the word. So in the first parable, this parable of the sower that we've read about, Jesus says that there's a farmer, a sower, okay? And he went out to plant his fields, and he scattered the seed, and as he was scattering the seed, the seed landed in different places, right? Some, first of all, landed on the wayside, and this wayside is a reference to a path that would separate the fields where the people and their livestock would walk. You would not want to walk through the middle of the field after the seeds were planted or, or the ground was prepared or the plants or the vegetables or whatever you had, were trying to grow sprung up. You would trample them down and, and you, would, you would damage your crop. And so there, there were these paths that ran in between the fields and this is where the people and the livestock would walk. And because this ground was always walked on, it was packed down hard. You can imagine that, trampled on. And so, consequently, the seeds that would land on this ground, they just rested on top of the soil. They wouldn't go down into it. It could not penetrate into the soil. And when, and when the birds saw this, they came, and they easily were able to easily pick the, up the seeds, and then they devoured them. So um, the wayward paths were, were places for the birds to be fed. You didn't want your seed to land there if you were a sower. And then Jesus went on to say that some of the other seeds landed on ground that was full of rocks. We know what that's like living in the Rocky Mountains. And um, this is ground that had, if you will, some topsoil, a, a little bit of soil for the, the seed to fall on. And even though those seeds were able to find their way into the shallow soil from what Jesus is telling us here and began to grow so that the roots sprouted, we know that they, the roots didn't go very down very far because there was an impenetrable surface there right below the, 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 the topsoil. There was the, the rocks and that um, were right beneath the surface. And so even though these seeds sprouted and began to grow, these plants eventually withered because they could not get the water or, or really, in essence, the nutrients that they needed to survive. But there were still other seeds, we're told, that the farmer had scattered in these, sands, these, these seeds would land on better soils, um, soils which allowed for the plants to, to begin to grow. But in, in, the instance, in one instance, there was thorns or seeds for thorns also in, in some of the soil uh, that had grown up alongside the plants, these thorns that sprouted when the plants sprouted. And, and what happened is the thorns overtook the plants. And, you know, that's just a part of the curse. I, I hate it. I've tried having gardens before. I'm not a gardener. So I can grow, I grow weeds pretty good, I'm telling you that right now. And um, it's amazing at how slowly the plant will grow and how fast the weeds will grow. And you can pull them and spray them and not water them. And man, if there's thorns there, it's a battle. If there's weeds there, it's a battle. And it's a pure sign that the Bible's true because the Bible speaks about this as part of the curse. And um, it's clearly Satan makes weeds grow. That's all I got to say. <laughs> But you get the example here, you get the idea is that the, the, the weeds grew up, the thorns grew up, and then they, when they grew up alongside the plants, they obstructed their growth. So even though there was some plants that grew up and the seeds that sprouted, there were things there that were hindering it. And lastly, Jesus said that there were some seeds that had landed on good ground. And of course, when they sprouted up, they grew and yielded a crop for their farmer, um, produced fruit. Now, 
At the end of the story, here's where we begin to see the application, and Jesus spells it out for us, but we don't want to miss this, 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 these words of Jesus here in, here in verse 8, because at the end of the story, we read in verse 8 that Jesus stops and he cries out to the people. And, and he really is calling them to pay attention. Ultimately, he calls out to the people who had heard what he had just taught them, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him ak uo. Back to that Greek word. In other words, let him listen with spiritual understanding. Because what Jesus is doing is he's saying, this isn't about farming, guys. He's not telling them how to farm, how to plant crops. That's not it. He's saying there's, a, there's something more here for you. He's calling them to listen with spiritual understanding and receptiveness and consider what he has said in order to learn. And Jesus said this because he was speaking to the crowds who had been following him, those who had been hearing this, this good news message of these glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And, uh, and, and at this time, there were many in the crowds who were hard-hearted, Many in the crowds who were spiritually dead. Therefore, because they had been unwilling to receive the word, these glad tidings of the kingdom of God, which Jesus had been preaching and proclaiming to them, they were, many of them were unable to understand the spiritual truth. The spiritual truth that Jesus had been preaching and proclaiming to them. And so, because they, were able to under, they weren't able to understand the spiritual truths, it says that he was now teaching to them in parables. Furthermore, guys, as Jesus, calls, as Jesus called those who could hear to hear, he was calling them to pay attention. So, to, 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 if, you, if, if you knew, if you understood that Jesus was speaking more about just the, the, the eternal things, the kingdom of God things, he's saying, pay attention and in light of this, we see how Jesus was pointing out the fact that, guys, not all spiritual truths are found right on the surface. Have you ever, have you ever had that experience in your own life where you read God's Word and you're like, ah, I don't quite get it? And you dig into it and you read and you pray and all of a sudden God brings forth this gem, this jewel out before you, this thing that applies to your life. Or you're on a Sunday morning or you're in a Bible study, you're listening to it and 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 something that you may have read before is now speaking to you in a different way. It's a spiritual truth that was beneath the surface. And not all spiritual truths are right on the surface. God desires us to seek him, to dig deep. And so even if we have the spiritual ears to hear, we must desire. It comes from a heart of a desire. Do you desire to know the truth? Desire to know the truth and a desire to receive the truth by faith. And I have to be completely honest with you, and I'm sure you guys would be true. There's lots of times in my life where I don't really want to hear what God has to say because I know with that there's an accountability, right? There's a, there's a, there's a, a hearing and receiving, a, a hearing and doing. There's, there's many aspects to this hearing that God then requires of us. And, and in my own sin, in my own rebellion, you know, I, I don't want to move from this place to that place. It's like, don't tell me, da-da-da-da-da, you know? And so even if we have the spiritual ears to hear, which we do because we have God's Spirit living inside of us, that's what the Bible tells us, the ability to be able to discern spiritual things. We must have a desire to know the truth, a desire, more importantly, to receive the truth by faith, and that requires humility. Receive the truth by faith and ultimately a desire to apply the truth to our own lives in order to gain the understanding. 
You can't gain the understanding unless you apply it. That's the other part of hearing. Hearing and doing is gaining the understanding because it's one thing to be told how to do something. It's one thing to even read how to do something, but a whole other thing to act upon that, to implement it, to build your life upon it. And the point is, is we may be able to hear with our ears, but guys, are we listening with a heart that is willing to receive what's being revealed? Do we have a heart that's, that's, that's willing, as Christ explains this, do we have a heart that is willing to receive what is being, or, or to, to receive what is being revealed? And if we're, we're not listening with a willing heart when it comes to the things of God, then we're not learning what God is teaching us. And consequently, we'll reign will remain, as this parable points out for us, in a place of spiritual maturity. There'll be no fruit produced in or through your life. What a waste that is. Think about it, the seed that gets cast upon the wayward side, that's wasteful. And God, our God's not a God of waste, and he desires good things for us. And as a result of our understanding of God and of his will for our lives, um, if, if we are in that place of spiritual immaturity where we're not willing to receive and then act upon what God shows us, um, we're going to be lacking. And when you're lacking, you know what? You're weak. And God desires for us to be spiritually strong, not spiritually weak, not spiritually immature. He calls us to grow in our faith, to grow in our understanding of him, of his will, of his kingdom. And, 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 and ultimately, he desires for us to be spiritually strong and not spiritually weak because even as we see here, if you're in this place where God's word's not doing what it's designed to do because of our own unwillingness to receive it, we're going to be vulnerable to temptation. And when the trials of life come, we're going to suffer. We're not going to be able to stand. Not only that, well, we can be spiritually weak, we can be vulnerable to temptation, and or we can be in a place where there is no spiritual fruit being produced in or through our lives. So the hearing and receiving God's word is the main point of this parable. Let me just say that right now. If you haven't got it by now, that's what it's about. The main point of this parable is hearing and receiving God's word. It's the first lesson. And with this being said, Jesus' disciples who had had a desire, Jesus' disciples clearly had a desire to hear and receive, they asked in verse 9, okay, we hear you, and we understand that you're not talking about farming, that you're using an earthly example to point forth the spiritual truth about the kingdom of God. They say, what does this parable mean? And in verse 11, Jesus began to explain by saying, first of all, he said, the seed is symbolic of the word of God which we already kind of came to the conclusion of, right? The seed is symbolic of the word of God. Jesus clarifies it for us. Furthermore, in verse 12, we find out that the ground is literally a picture of a person's heart, and the birds that devoured the scattered word of God is actually the devil. Then lastly, in verse 14, we're told the thorns which had sprung up are a picture of several things, the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. In other words, it's the things of this world, the temporal things of this world that creep into a person's heart and then choke out the word of God so that the fruit is not produced. You know, and I want to say this, it's that simple. I believe what Jesus said here. It's that simple. And I don't believe it's necessary to over-spiritualize something that Jesus concisely defines. And I've heard people teach this parable and start spiritualizing things and I'm like, whoa, how'd you get that? And Jesus tells us right here. He 
Yet in light of this explanation, guys, I think it's most important for us to look at the four conditions of the heart that is seen in relationship to receiving God's word. I think it's important for us to really examine and consider the four conditions of the heart that is seen in relationship to receiving the word of God. I think this is the application for our lives this morning. And in this parable, we see that there are four possible conditions of a person's heart. And I think this can be related to uh, uh, a salvation experience for some who will and will not receive. But, but in addition to that, even after salvation, there's this, this, this potential for us to have every one of these conditions of this heart, an attitude when it comes to receiving God's word. And in this parable, we see this. There's, there's first of all, what we see is there's the four conditions. There's the hard heart, or we might even say the callous heart. A hard or callous heart. Um, then there's the shallow, which the, 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 the heart that doesn't have depth, the selfish heart, I would, I would say that. Shallow or selfish. Then, then we see the crowded heart. And lastly, the good heart that is willing to receive. In light of this, we can understand that there, I think what we see here, what Jesus is telling us, the spiritual understanding that we can conclude to begin with is that there are three enemies that each of us face in regards to um, the temptations that our heart might be pulled into when it comes to receiving God's word. Three enemies that each of us face which can prevent us from um, spiritual fruit that can prevent spiritual fruit from being produced through our lives. There is the world, right? There is our flesh, the, the, the old man, the sin nature, and, and there is the enemy, Satan. And, and I don't wanna, I'm not one of these guys who want to give a whole bunch of credit to Satan because I do a pretty good job of sinning without Satan. It's, it's my sin nature, and is there an enemy? Is there an adversary? Is there a tempter? Is he a liar and a deceiver and a murderer? Yes, he is, and he's there, and Jesus identifies this here. So as we look at this, I, I want to go through this again and, and, and examine our own hearts, if you will. Give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to examine our own hearts and see perhaps what is keeping us from receiving God's word. What is keeping us? To, to, to have that ear, are we willing to hear, Lord, what do you want to show me today? The Bible says that our heart is wicked and deceitful, and only God can know it. And there's areas of our lives that, that um, we're blind to, attitudes of our heart that we're blind to. I believe that God wants to shine light on this morning and show us, hey, your heart's a little hard, it's callous, it's a little selfish, it's these things. And these things are preventing you from receiving what I have for you. And the wayward soil, as we see this, again, it would be the hard packed ground that has not been tilled up with the rest of the field. And, and it can be likened to the hard heart or the calloused heart. And the calloused heart has the word of God laid on it. The calloused heart has God's word laid on it, whether it's been brought forth by a pastor or uh, a spouse or your children or just you own reading God's word. When God goes forth, it's going to go out, the Bible says, and, and, and it can land on a part of a heart that's hard, a calloused heart, and the Word of God. And it landed on it in this situation, but the Word of God, when it lands on the hard heart, the, the calloused heart, when the Word of God lands there, it says it's easily carried away. It's carried away by the devil, and I'm sure we've all experienced that. It's carried off by Satan, because why? It doesn't penetrate into our hearts. It doesn't go deep down. It doesn't go in. 
It can just be easily swept away, blown away, tempted away, dismissed. And for, for the most part, a callous-hearted person, guys, is someone who hears the word of God, but they resist it. And not only that, we can even deny it. And what I mean by that is we usually rationalize it away. Are you sure, God? Are you sure you know what you're talking about? Have you considered this? You know, as if God needs our help in that matter. The omniscient, omnipotent God. And, 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 and it's resist, we resist it, and we can even deny it. And, and a person who has this kind of heart, or when we have this kind of heart, we're unwilling to see God's word, and ultimately, guys, as a result, there's no change in our lives. There's no change. However, this hardening of the heart does not happen instantly. And that's one of the reasons why I like to use the word calloused for it. It gives me a better picture. You know, when I'm working hard with my hands or when I'm working out in the, in the gym, you know, you, deserve, you get certain calluses. Uh, when you're learning to play the guitar, which I've tried, you get these nasty calluses on your fingers. And, and uh, you can't feel anything. There's, a, there's a, a lack of sensitivity that comes with hardening uh, through, through a callus. And that can be good when you're learning to play the guitar, but it's not good in regards to receiving the word of God, to have a hard or a callous heart. And, and, and ultimately, this hard heart or this callous heart, if I boil it down in my life, and maybe it's different in your own life, but when I study God's word, what I see, and, and maybe this will help you out this morning, is that ultimately, a hard heart or a callous heart is a result of unbelief. It's a result of unbelief. We don't believe what God has said. We don't trust or believe that it's a good thing for us. We don't trust and believe that it's God's will or God's desire. It's ultimately unbelief. And when we do not believe God and the truths found in his word, the simple answer is, is, is the simple conclusion is we're never going to receive them and apply them to our lives. We can dismiss it. And a hardening takes place. A callousing comes on. In fact, Scripture tells us that when this happens, here's, here's such a, a good reminder. When that happens, you know what? We never enter into the rest that God has for us. When we don't believe God, when we harden our hearts, callous, have a callous heart, and we don't receive what God has for us, we, we, don't, we miss out not only on the thing that God has for us, but the very beginning, unbelief leads to lack of rest. We don't enter into the rest that God has for us, nor do we receive the blessing that God wishes to bless us with. And the point is, is the blessings and the rest of God comes through a soft heart that believes and receives God's word. Sounds pretty good. Listen, in Psalm 95, it talks about the children of Israel and their own unbelief. It's, it's, a, it's a historic remembrance. It's a, this psalm's a historic remembrance of the children of Israel when they refused to enter in to the promised land. And we know, we're told that they refused to enter in because of what? Unbelief. God had spoken to him in his word and he said, enter in. And God had spent all this time with them, delivering them out of Egypt, out of bondage, miraculously, providing them through this, 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 this wilderness journey before the 40 years, to the edge of the promise of the border of the promised land, met with them at Mount Sinai, did all of these things, and yet when, when they got to the border of the, of the promised land, they sent spies in, and the spies came back and said, oh, there's giants in the land. 
And, and we'll be like grasshoppers to them, and they'll, they'll destroy us. And God said, God said no, that's not going to happen. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And so there's this historic remembrance in regards to that and this hardening that took place. And it says this, it says in verse 7 to begin with, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion... Here's the historic remembrance, okay? Let me say that again. For he is our God, and this is God speaking to us, I think, this morning well. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. In other words, he's providing for us. He's caring for us. He's protecting us. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. We're the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So today, if you will hear his voice, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. He who hears his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me, God said. They tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And that's not what God wants for us. God desires blessing and for rest. And hearing and receiving God's word, not having that hard heart brings us into that place. Now the next condition of the, of the heart is, is, is equated to rocky soil. And it speaks of the person who receives God's word. I think what it's telling us in is an emotional way. It says in verse 13, with joy. And you ever been like that? You know, you get this message from God and you're like, Yes! Woohoo! You're all, it's an emotional experience. And, and, and it can be hearing God's word and God revealing spiritual truth to you. When God's word speaks to you in, a, in an intimate and personal way, you can be filled with joy and hope and all these great things. But it has to be more than just an emotion. And that's what we're told there. And even though it sounds like a good thing in this instance, we're like, woohoo, God's got good for me. You know what? Ultimately, we see that this heart is also described as a shallow heart, this, this, this heart that has the rock. Why? Because when this person re- receives uh, what God has for them, it doesn't go down. It doesn't take root in their life. And, and what has been received does not endure when the temptations or the trial of life come. In other words... It's when a person realizes that their receiving of God's word comes with a cost or a change and they choose to go back to doing things, doing things their way and abandon God's way. Have you ever done that? God, you got this awesome thing for me. And you head out down the path and you go in that direction. You've received it and all of a sudden you realize, oh, oh, oh that means this. I'm going to have to give up that. I'm going to have to change this. And, and, and when the reality of that comes in and the motion is gone, it's not sunken down in and, and, and it has this negative effect in your life. You go back to doing things your way and we give up God's way. I call this person the Alka-Seltzer Christian. A whole lot of fizz but no depth. <laughs> Ever drop Alka-Seltzer in? Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. <laughs> and then it's gone, right? Why? Because they do not allow God's word to penetrate into their heart. And when a trial or hardship comes that interferes with the feel-good 
emotion that you've initially received, um, or, or maybe even this wrong perception of what they believe Christianity would be like, following God would be like, you know what? They flee. We flee to the next thing, the next thing that might bring us to our next emotional high. And ultimately, this rocky heart, guys, it's, it's, you can see it, I think. It's rooted in selfishness. That's why I call it a selfish heart. It's not what God wants. It's what I want. It's not what's good for other people. It's, good, it's what's good for me. That's, that's this heart. A selfish heart. It comes with this attitude. What am I going to get out of it? What's good for me? And, and, and it's this kind of attitude, and it's really, it's really void of God's heart, which is what can I give? Not what can I get, but what am I going to be able to give as a result of this? And this is the attitude which is supposed to be the heart and attitude of those who follow after Christ. It's not a man, we don't want to find our life by, by seeing what we can get. It's by laying down. And see, ultimately we know that from this text because Jesus said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And what the in conclusion is, is the receiving of God's word is to what? Produce fruit. God does this work in us so that he might do this work through us. And, and that's why you can't, we can't have this, this, this shallow heart, this selfish heart, because it's all, it's all about what's for me, what's for me, what's for me. And when you realize this emotional, this emotional reception of God's word, when you realize that it's not all about you, you go, ah, maybe it's not for me. And we turn away from God's word. We don't receive God's word. It doesn't take hold in our lives. But when we have this kind of shallow heart attitude, we're initially willing to do what God has put in our heart. But guys, the minute it becomes uncomfortable or not exactly what we've expected, then the excitement and the willingness to obey fizzes away. And we go back to our own way of thinking and back to our own desires and back to our own wills. And we just we, we, we flat abandon what God's word is, has, has revealed to us. And I think this kind of heart describes the battle, ultimately, like I said, battle between the flesh the sin nature and, and the spirit of God that's inside of us. We all, Paul talks about this battle that goes on. And he says this, he says, Paul talks about this and he says in Galatians chapter five, he says, for the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And then Paul even went on, I love the apostle Paul, he made it very personal and I can relate to it a little better. He said in Romans chapter seven, Verses 14 through 20. Maybe you can relate to this also. Paul personalized his own battle between the flesh and the spirit, his own shallow heart. And he said, that, that shallow heart attitude, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions sometimes. For I do not do what I want to do, but the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, he says, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it. He says, the spirit man or the, the sin nature. He says, so, so now is, is, not, is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. For now I, I, for I, I now know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not this ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin that dwells in me. And we have to understand that we all have that 
propensity to that attitude, that sin nature that, that keeps us back from keeps the keeps us from receiving God's word, that sin nature. And we Bible says we need to put that to death. That old man, that sin nature. And realize that Christ lives in us. It is not I, but Christ who lives in me. And that comes through submission and humility. Now the other seed that falls upon the good soil and is choked out by thorns, um, it also reveals a, a, a kind of heart that will in some way receive God's word, right? So the, the wayward heart, the hard heart just doesn't even receive God's word. The shallow heart, the selfish heart will receive it as long as it's good for, for, for him. And, and when it's no longer just all about me, then it's gone. And then we have this, this third kind of attitude of our heart, and, um, uh, which will, will receive God's word. But in this heart condition, um, the one where the thorns are, are in it, we see how the things of this world are competing. It's a, it's a competition. It's competing. The things of this world are competing for the place that the word of God is found. So the word of God will come in and it'll sprout up and it takes hold, but, but there are the other things in the heart. You guys have other things in your heart too? <laughs> and there's like this competition going on and they're competing for the place that God's word is found. And in the, in, the, in the end, the work that the word has been sent out to do is not done and no fruit is produced. And I think the best way to describe this kind of heart is to call it a crowded heart. Since the temporary things of this life alongside the materialistic culture that we live in are, are daily competing, they are. The temporary things of this life and the materialistic culture that I live in are daily competing for a place in my heart. And you know what? We're all at risk of having a crowded heart. And as we all well know, it's very easy to become preoccupied or even consumed with this life, with this temporary life. And in doing so, what do we do? We lose sight. We lose sight of, of eternity. We lose sight of God's kingdom. We lose sight of eternal life. The eternal life that is to come. And when this happens, clearly the parable tells us that we remain in this place of spiritual immaturity where there's no fruit being produced in our life. And you know what? When that happens, you become ineffective for God's kingdom. Now, there are two main reasons when I examine this for why a person's heart can become crowded with the things of this life. There may be others, but this is probably, everything else probably falls under these two, two banners. The first is because our hearts, guys, our hearts are not being tended to. When your heart is crowded, when your heart is full of weeds or thorns and it's competing for God's word that wants to come in and change us, the receiving of that, it's because our hearts are not being tended to daily. And if you've ever tried to grow a garden, you know that if you don't tend to the garden and pull out the weeds on a daily or regular basis, sooner or later you're going to have just a garden of weeds. And the same is true spiritually in regards to our heart if it's left unattended. Now, the other reason for a crowded heart is lack of contentment. Whew. An unattended heart and, and um, a heart that's not content. Lack of contentment with God's provision. Lack of contentment with God's provision. And when we consider lack of contentment alongside a heart that is left spiritually unattended, we see that they're connected together, I think. 
lack of contentment and a a heart that's not being tended to spiritually speaking in a way that God wants us to. They're, they're, They're connected together. They can't be separated. In other words, the heart that is being tended to, that is not being choked out by the cares of this life, will be content with God's provision. That's what I find in my own life. When I'm tending my heart and, and, and submitting it to, to God in that, in that sense, um, it's not going to be choked out by the cares of this life, and I'm going to be content with God's provision. And we have all heard it said, right, the grass is greener where you water it, not on the other side. So if we take care to tend our own heart, to water our own heart, allowing God to to do what he wants to do with the word of God through prayer, through fellowship, through worship, receiving all that God has for us, you know what? You're going to be content with God's provision for your life. And this leads us to the last type of heart described in verse 15, the good heart. Or the receiving heart, the heart that will produce fruit. In other words, the work that God has sent it out to do, it's received and it does a work inside of us. And when it does a work inside of us, because we received it, then it's going to do a work outside of us, through us. It'll produce fruit. And, and that is spiritual fruit that it's talking about. The Bible tells us that the receiving heart produces spiritual fruit multifold. With, with really what that means is, it doesn't so much mean that, um, you know, a hundred of one thing. It, it, it multifold means more so in this instance, various types of spiritual fruit. That's what's going to be yielded in your life. And, and I've looked through scripture and I want to reveal some of those things to you. I want to read some passages. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to have to wrap it up with this. So we're talking about multifold, multiple or multifold a spiritual fruit being yielded in your life, various types of fruit. I want to give you some examples. In Romans chapter 1, verse 13, it tells us, you can look it up. I'm not going to read it all to you. It says that soul winning is a spiritual fruit. And so really, you can, we can take this message this morning and actually work backwards, guys. When you begin to hear about this fruit, it can be an indication maybe of where your heart is or is not. Are these things being brought forth through your lives, through our lives? And if you can go through this list, and and Christianity is about a list, but this is kind of a way to, to search your own heart and going, God, why isn't this being manifested through my life? Is it because I have a heart that's not willing to receive? And what kind of heart do I have that needs to be changed? Because these fruits that the Lord's speaking about are things that we would want in our lives. Soul winning. When's the last time you've had the opportunity to pray with someone to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? I'm here to tell you that's the greatest gift we've ever received is our salvation. And God's called us to be givers and you can give of your time, you can give of your money, you can do all those things, but you know what? We need to be giving the greatest gift we've ever received, and that's the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this good news message of, hey man, God saved you too. That'll be a fruit in your life when the word of God is being received. Is, is people, you'll be able to pray with people to, to lead them to salvation. Romans 1.13 Soul winning is a fruit. Romans 6.22 tells us that holiness is also a fruit. 
And I want to be very careful with that again as I prayed early on. Christianity is not a self-improvement course. Christianity is about a relationship with God. And when you receive God's word, you're in relationship. And the byproduct of that relationship with Jesus, with God, is holiness, righteousness, living in a right way. That's simply what that means. And I'm telling you what, man, when, when holiness is, is coming out of you, it's an awesome thing. Because people go, I know you. That ain't you. Something's happened to you. <laughs> you know, to be like Jesus, that's who I want to be like. He's holy. That is a fruit. Um, Romans 15, 28 says that giving is a fruit. Are you giving? Are, are you all stingy? You know, are your hands like this? Or are your hands like this? Giving is a fruit. Colossians 1.10 says that good works are a fruit. And by the way, God has appointed good works for us so that we may walk in them. Our job's to walk in them, but if we're not hearing and receiving God's word, we're not even going to know what the good work is for us to walk in. Is there good works that are coming through your life as a result of receiving and hearing God's word? That's a fruit. I love Hebrews 13.15. Praise. Thanksgiving. Praise is a fruit. I love Job. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. You can't, when you're in a situation like Job, there's no, there's no part of you as a human being that's going, oh, I'm praising God. But when it's a fruit, as a result of being in relationship, God hearing and receiving, you know, going to come forth praise and thanksgiving, like it says in Philippians, at all times. And in Galatians chapter 5, of course, there's, in verses 22 to 23, there's an entire list of spiritual fruit, right? Okay, here it is. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. And we know from earlier on, Jesus says, when you, you love those who love you, that's, that's not spiritual fruit. He says, he says, even the unbeliever does that, the sinner does that. This kind of spiritual fruit is loving those who are unlovable, loving them when they're unloving. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, and faith. So in light of this, we should understand, guys, that faith here, let me get it for you. Faith is not a matter of IQ or education. It's a matter of humbly preparing the heart to receive God's truth. Receiving God's word is where we must all start. Remember, faith comes by hearing, listening with spiritual understanding and receptiveness to the word of God. This is where we start, okay? And if we look at next week and the week to come, it can't stop there because we're also called to share the word, receiving and sharing, right? Hearing the word and receiving, hearing the word and sharing, and ultimately what we'll look at at the end of this study of this chapter is, is there's the receiving and obeying, and that is the principle that's gonna be taught in the other two parables. So if you wanna know about that, come next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for this time this morning. Thank you for these words of truth, these spiritual words of truth, and I pray, God, that you would penetrate our hearts, that we would come in faith and humility to receive what you have for us. And God, may that these fruits that we read about in your word, that they would be, be evident in our lives so that they may know, so that the world may know that we are yours, that we follow you, that we have a great hope and a good God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys stand?